Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round podcast and Score More with Garrett Sisti all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round podcast and score more with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. What's up, everyone? It's the Love, the Jam, the podcast coming to you, as always, with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing not so great. Today was a, a real bad sports day for me, actually. Uh, Michigan lost at home to MSU, which was, you know, they're our second biggest rival, if not our biggest. And then Uh-oh. the Clippers got clobbered in Denver in one of the ugliest performances they've had all year. So I'm personally doing fine, but it was it was a rough morning and afternoon of watching sports that sounds like a sad day well that's a bummer um the clippers have not been doing so well uh by the way that was a song that i wrote a long time ago i hope you guys like it (laughs) and you'll hear a little bit more of it at the end of the show um yeah that's cool (laughs) the clippers on the other hand wrote a pretty sad song today they lost to the denver nuggets in denver what kind of felt like a carbon copy of their last game in Denver. I'll be real. I was working today. I was watching the box score of this game, hoping I'd be able to catch the end of it. And I did get off of work in time to see the fourth quarter, but they were getting blown out um, mercilessly. I didn't really feel like watching that, even though I do like watching some of our uh, lesser tier players get minutes in garbage time. I didn't really feel like watching the Clippers get their get their bags handed to them on their way out of Denver. Can you talk about this game a little bit, Rob? Uh, what did you think about this game? I know there's not much to say, but all things considered, this was a pretty sad game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the first half, they actually played solid. They weren't great, obviously. I think they were trailing by eight going into the third quarter, but that was mostly just because they were missing shots. They were down 64 to 56. 64 is a lot of points to give up. It's not, like, completely outrageous. And 56, you know, was solid. It's considering they're on the road, early afternoon game in Denver against a really good team, Mile High City, not a bad outcome, especially considering I think they were 0 for 9 from 3 
in the first half, things were actually looking okay as long as they would start hitting shots in the second half. But they didn't hit shots. They were 3 for 12, so better, but not by much in the second half. And everything else that they've done decently in the first half completely came apart. They rebounded okay in the first half, got destroyed on the glass in the second half. Defense just collapsed, and Mm. it was, yeah, it was ugly. The third quarter woes really, really continue here for the Clippers. The third quarter, they scored 33 to 21. And, yeah, that's really where the game was decided. The fourth quarter was just very much extended garbage time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Clippers, I think, cut the lead to 14 at one point with seven or eight minutes left, but they they never had any chance of winning this game after, like, the midpoint in the third quarter. It was very rough. And on Twitter afterwards, the only player who I shouted out was Lou Williams as being positive. Jamichael Green and Gallinari were okay um for various points of the game and that's it It, after that it was a wasteland well well this is the first game i haven't really seen in a while and i don't think i'm really excited to watch it i don't know i'm gonna watch this game the third quarter was continue the first quarter you know they wouldn't get outscored by too much but they did get outscored the nuggets are obviously one of the elite teams in the nba should we read much about the starters and the starters mix? I think we were all kind of high on this mix of Clippers and the starters. Um, but, you know, they still got behind by quite a bit early in the third quarter. And it, it pretty much did them in. Should we worry about the mix of these starters? Like, what do we what do we think about the starting lineup right now? Is this the right mix for us? I don't think so. I think... Doc is really scrambling. We'll get to Twitter questions a little later. One of the questions is about Doc rotations being set in stone. If anything, I think he's probably experimenting too much instead of just sticking to what the the stats and the lineup data says is good, which is that Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell are both really good and they need to be, their minutes need to be maximized. And them playing off the bench just doesn't quite do that. Having the best bench in the NBA is, you know, very cool. It's nice to have those stats and to be the best scoring bench in, you know, 30 years or however long it is. But the Clippers continually find themselves down in the first and third quarters because their starting lineup just isn't that good. And they I don't think they even fit that well. The only player in that starting lineup who I think should absolutely 100% have a spot is Danilo Gallinari. I'd say if anything, Pat Beverly, if their playoffs are the ultimate goal, Pat Beverly is probably the second guy who should be in there but after that I you know as much as I love Shea and which is a lot <laughs> um <laughs> if they really want to make the playoffs I'm not sure if he should be starting the problem is I think he should be starting because I think his development and the young guys in general is more important than making the playoffs that again gets to another Twitter question but I just I don't like his fit with Beverly particularly well I don't think the Beverly Shea Zubots lineup is very good on defense. It's better than the one with Gortat because Zubots is better than Gortat defensively, but he still has a lot of the same weaknesses there. And he's still just as kind of ineffective on offense, unless he's getting spoon fed bucket buckets. Yes. He's younger than Gortat. So he's a bit better at rolling to the rim and he's able to finish a bit stronger, but he also can't create any offense. He's a horrible passer. He really can't read the court at all. And it just does not help the team spacing, especially when Shea is not hitting those little jumpers. 
you have two guys who just can't really score that much, especially, you know, with the ball in their hands. And that really limits things. Honestly, you can throw Pat Beverly in there too, because he doesn't really look to score much and his three point shot has kind of waned as of late. So really that leaves Gallinari and then Shamit running off screens and Shamit's good, but he is a rookie and the past couple of games, we've seen teams really game plan to take away those little screens and he hasn't proven able to shake himself. He didn't really get any clean threes today. He had a couple of nice pull up jumpers where the guys ran him off the three and he got the looks but he was mostly invisible. He played 29 minutes. I barely noticed he was on the court. And if he's like that and everybody else is, you know, even at their normal levels, especially if Shea's having an off game, they just can't do anything offensively. And that really was the story today. They just couldn't get anything done. Shea was getting blocked at the rim. His jump shots weren't falling. Beverly was getting chased off the three-point line. Shamit was getting crowded. And it was all on Gallinari, and Gallo's good, but he's not that good. So hmm. I think changes have to be made. Uh, what what would you suggest? I mean, I think at this point, the obvious move is to put Trez in at, at the starting lineup instead of Zubats for more offense and, and honestly probably better defense, at least in terms of switchability. But I don't know. What do you think? It's really tough because, like you said, I think the development of the young guys is the most important thing on this team. I think particularly the development of Shea Gildas-Alexander is the most important thing on this team. I value that more than wins at this point, honestly. And uh, it's kind of a weird thing to say. I want the team desperately to make the playoffs, particularly like a seventh seed. I want them really badly to get a seventh seed and above. If they get an eighth Mm -hmm. seed, then ho-hum. That's not the worst thing. Maybe they can steal a game against the Warriors. But ultimately, I I really do want them to get maybe a seventh seed if they can. I, I would love that. But more than anything, I want Shea to play. I want Shea and Shamit. I want to see if they can play together yeah. and how well they can play together. That's my number one priority on this team. Um, after that, you know, is wins. Um, I do also want to develop Zubat uh, quite a bit um, because I think he is a piece for the future. And everything else, you know, honestly, is kind of secondary. I think Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell will get their minutes regardless of whether they start, stop or start, um, come off the bench or start. Um, Gallo obviously is too good of a player to not get minutes. But my biggest thing is I want those three young guys to get minutes. That Zubat only plays, you know, about half the game or a little bit less for Trez is completely understandable. But I want him to be able to start and play a little bit with Shea and Shamit. Uh, to see if they have anything together in that sense. But more importantly than anything, I want to see if Shea and Shamit can play together. So those two, obviously, I think I would I would still want those two starting. Gallinari as well. Beverly and Zubat, um, I think I like Zubat as a starter still because I really like the synergy between Harold and Lou. Um, so... I can understand the idea of starting Trez and then maybe mixing and matching so that Trez gets quite a bit of minutes with Lou still while also playing mm-hmm. a bit with the starters, maybe pulling Trez early, uh, maybe at the, you know, six or so minute mark and then bringing in Lou, you know, a little bit later and then bringing Trez in to start the second quarter, something like that where they can, they can really utilize their minutes together. Um, but I definitely think Trez and Lou have some you know, we've seen the stats, and I think you had a Twitter uh, post not that long ago that showed that Trez and Lou were in, like, the top six or, or so in the league as far as 
points to each other and pick and rolls and assists. Yeah. And it's incredible. And it's not as surprising for us, but it would absolutely be surprising to anybody that doesn't watch this team. So I think there is a synergy idea of having those two play together. And that's still kind of ultimately off the bench. Now, the issue with starting Shea and Landry and Zubat is I think the Clippers, that's a very inexperienced squad. Uh, Shea makes mistakes. Shamit definitely makes mistakes, especially defensively. Yes. And so does Zubat. Zubat doesn't – often Zubat picks up the ball, dribbles a little bit, makes bad passes, doesn't know exactly where to go. He looks kind of lost at times. Like he doesn't know the playbook, which is reasonable. Um, so with those three, if we give them minutes together as starters – I feel like the end result will be losses that we might otherwise not get if we play Lou more minutes, Beverly more minutes, uh, Trez more minutes, you know, even some of these veteran subs like Temple and Green and eventually Chandler and uh, Mba Mute, if he ever, if he exists. I don't even know if Luke exists at this yeah, point. Yeah, I think but... we can write off Luke. I think yeah. Wilson Chandler is interesting because <laughs> from what we know of Doc, and his history with veterans and guys who have proven themselves is that Wilson Chandler will probably start at some point this season. And I just wonder who that will be for. You know, I think any one of Shea, Pat, or Shamit could go to the bench for Wilson Chandler. And in terms of long-term development, I agree with you that it should probably be Beverly. And you insert Chandler there. Uh, alongside Gallo and Zubac. The problem with that is I think that would be a very bad defensive lineup. Chandler isn't horrible, but he's definitely more of a four now. I just don't think he can cover threes. Right. And taking out Beverly, who's, you know, the best defender in the starting unit, maybe Gallo is, but Beverly's certainly the the leader and the the energizer there. Would just make, it would probably improve the offense a little bit, but it would tank the defense. So I do wonder if it might not be Shamit or Shea that goes to the bench when Chandler returns and just how that will affect the rest of the lineups and how that will affect the young guys' confidence, I don't know. But I do think Chandler will play a legitimate role, and I do think he will start at some point, maybe not right away as he learns the team and playbook and whatever, but I bet he will you know, start. I still think, as much as I love the Lutrez combination, the, the, the best way to get offense and even a little playmaking really with how Trez has improved at reading the floor is to get Trez in there for Zubots. I like Zubots, but he's not nearly as promising or as important to me as Shamit and Shea, especially right. Shea, but even Shamit has already shown me a lot more than Zubots has. Zubots is older. He's also sneakily in his third season. He's a restricted free agent this summer. And while I know mm-hmm. the Clippers would like to keep him, if some team makes him a big offer, I mean, he might not even be on the team next year. Barring a trade for, like, a star player, Shamit and Shea are going to be Clippers for at least next year and probably years to come. So while I like Zubats and, you know, the trade was an absolute steal, even with his, you know, his rough outings the past couple games, I still, they absolutely stole him from the Lakers. It was an amazing trade. But I don't think his development should really be prioritized that much over winning. I think Shea Mm -hmm. and Shamit should be. But... At some point, I mean, I think Trez just has to start. If you have to bring in Lou early and play him with Trez or take Trez out early, that's probably the real solution and put in Zubots at, you know, seven or eight minute mark and then bring Harold back in either alongside Zubots, which could maybe work against some teams or just, you know, stagger them, you know, maybe more in four or five minute clips instead of big 
10 to 11 minute blocks. I'm not sure, but I don't think benching Beverly is the answer. And I really don't want to bench Shea or Shamit. And obviously it's not Gallo. So to me, it, it's Zubats. Um, but, you know, again, I, I don't know how much of a difference that will make. I mean, I think the real solution of fixing the starting lineup is just to start Lou, but I think that works a lot better theoretically than practically because he's mm-hmm. so comfortable off the bench and his defense is less exposed against starters. I mean, even though he plays so many of his minutes against starters anyway, but I just think it has to be Trez and, you know, I like Zubats, but he still projects to me as basically a rotation center and Shea projects as a well above average starter, potential star. Shamit, I think, could be that JJ Reddick type of fringe all-star as well. Again, that's reading a lot into them. Neither one of them might not pan out that way, but I just I don't see that kind of upside or promise for Zubots, and that's not even right. counting the free agency this summer. So I'd probably move him to the bench, but that just makes them even more undersized and getting hit on the glass hard enough. So I don't know if that would even help. It would it would hurt the defense probably, but at least it would cure the offense. I'm not sure. Uh, what did you think about the rest of the rotation, I guess? I mean, we're still seeing a little bit of Ty Walls, but not very much. Jerome Robinson and Jonathan Motley have hit the bench after playing in the rotation for a handful of games in January, I believe. What do you think about everything else? I mean, I think the rest of the rotation is fine. I think, you know, Green and Temple deserve to get minutes as long as the Clippers are trying to win. Mm-hmm. And Ty is, is better than Jerome. If anything, I still want Ty to get more minutes, but I'm not sure where those, where those would come from. But how, yeah. have you liked, how have you liked the other guys? I guess this would be more about Green and Temple so far. I like Green. I, I liked him even even when he disappointed in that first game. I saw a lot of potential for him. He has a, He's not particularly respected as a three-point shooter, so he's not like he's stretching the defense too much, but he can hit that shot, which has been nice to nice to see. Uh, Temple, Temple is also like a nice utility guy. I don't think he's obviously shown maybe his his utility, <laughs> but he played I do good defense tonight. He, he it did. wasn't great. It was good mm-hmm. defense. His offense has been pretty rough. I like some of the cuts he's made. He's he's good at cutting back door and just off ball in general, but his shot has not been there. Mm-hmm. And he's demonstrated a, a shocking and disappointing resemblance to Avery Bradley <laughs> a couple of times on these pull-up jumpers. I mean, maybe Love. it's just the sets that the Clippers have in their playbook for their shooting guard or, or their off ball wings. But he had one today that was straight out of the Bradley. He came off a screen in the corner and there were like 15 seconds on the shot clock. He did a, you know, it, it turned into like a pick and roll. He came off the screen and just launched like a 20 footer right inside the three point line and clanked uh, it. And it was yeah, horrible. Okay. Um, you know, on the whole, I think his defense is better than Bradley's cause he's more versatile and he's definitely smarter offensively, but uh, he's not been great so far. Green, I thought was probably the Clippers second best player today, which is not saying a heck of a lot, right. um, but I think he's played pretty well. Um yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, do you yeah. want to talk about that, that Grizzlies game at all, by the way, since we brought up Avery Bradley? 
Yeah, I mean, Avery Bradley, seven point, 17 point score, Avery Bradley, 30 plus point score in previous <laughs> game. Avery Bradley, you're not running me the right way, Clippers, Avery Bradley. Um, he played pretty good. <laughs> he yeah. hit some shots. I thought that I was afraid the Grizzlies were going to go on a run and it was would be because of Avery Bradley. So kudos, Avery Bradley. I still think you're a pretty trash player, but you played pretty well that game um, in what was a pretty big game against the against his old team. So that was a good game. I mean, I thought it was a bad game. I thought the Clippers, aside from that stretch in the second quarter, uh, the first and second quarter with their bench, and their bench looked amazing, by the way. For a good like six or so minutes, everything was was clicking for the bench. They were moving the ball incredibly, like not mm-hmm. even drib- dribbling the ball, just Really, really good bench performance for a few minutes. But aside from that, it was a pretty poor game. The Grizzlies are a pretty much a G League team with, with Mike Conley right now. And they came all the way back and, you know, almost won this game. So I didn't really get too much from the game. The team looked kind of sluggish and sloppy, like they were playing the first game they played in uh, in so many in so many game in so many days. You know, an interesting trend uh, to me is the fact that the crunch time lineup seems to be Gallinari, Beverly, Shamit, Lou, and Trez. Yeah. And you I know, don't like I, it. I don't like it. But at the same time, I don't like it, period. And this is coming <laughs> from a Shea Gilgis Alexander fan. At the same time, you can theoretically understand it. You know, they're playing... They're pretty much playing everything around the Lou Williams Trez um, mm-hmm. pick and roll, and they're trying to spread the floor. Otherwise, the Boston Celtic game was a great example of this. The fact that you know Trez played the short roll and just passed the shooters—that's pretty much what they want to do. And Shamit is more ideal in that corner spot that they constantly put Shea in than Shea. So, like, I definitely think Shea should be playing, especially if Shamit's shot isn't isn't going. But Shamit had like two in and out three pointers, and one particularly in and out three pointer uh, that had he made, you know, it would have been, it would have justified Doc quite a bit more. He also got cooked all fourth quarter. Oh yeah, it was and we, bad. And we, and we talked about this. Every score that the Grizzlies had had something to do with Shamit, and I'm not even joking. Like he yeah. missed, he missed rotations got lost on screens, would like would like hedge a wrong way and just lose a guy entirely or get blown by a scrub Memphis guard who I can't even remember the name of, the guy who wasn't Conley. Avery Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he got he got killed. And I think that was really I mean, we could see it was some his, we could see some of his flaws before that game, but that game really showed us how Shamit can get cooked. And they were attacking was, him over and over. And they it did knew not him. matter which yeah. guard was on him. He was absolutely. Guarding. They like it zeroed in on him like he was Carmelo Anthony or something. Like he he yeah. was absolutely getting attacked. And that was absolutely eye-opening. And while Shamit, you know, is a frisky defender, I don't think he backs down. I don't think he's afraid. But I do think when he gets attacked like that on defense, he's a rookie. It's going to affect his confidence. And I felt like it did affect his confidence a little bit. So that was an inter- a very eye-opening thing. At the same time, like I kind of understood Doc playing playing Shamit down the stretch with the offense he was trying to work. Yeah. And is it simply just a day-by-day type of thing as, as far as Shea versus Shamit? Objectively, in the fourth quarter, do you just play who's feeling it? 
Yeah, you know? I mean, I think it, yeah. I think it really depends what you need. I mean, if Shamit is hot from three, I think you kind of have to roll with him unless he's getting destroyed like he was in that Memphis game. And even then, I mean, if he's cooking from three, you probably live with the the defense. But in games when he hasn't been hot or hasn't been able to get open like the last two games, he still provides spacing, sure, because right. teams respect the shit out of him, even though he's a rookie. Mm-hmm. But you know, he doesn't offer really anything else. I mean, he doesn't rebound. He's, you know, he's not a horrible passer, but he's not a particularly good one. He's not somebody who's really going to create for others. His defense, he kind of has a nose for getting steals. He's good at making these little pokes. He had three steals today. Um, and, and I think in some ways his defense could end up being okay, just if he's able to get steals and improve on help D a little bit. Some of his other flaws aren't that big a deal. But it was bad. The, the Grizzlies game was bad. It, like every single guard that the Clippers had, that, that the Grizzlies had, that he tried to guard, they just gave, put a run in a pick and roll, ran them off screens, and he could not do anything about it. I thought his defense was a little bit better against the Nuggets, but again, 29 minutes, he only had one assist, zero rebounds, so he really didn't contribute anything else. Shea only had one rebound too. And that's another reason why the two of them together is kind of iffy is from a rebounding perspective. Uh, even though they're both tall, they're, they're weak, they're rookies, they're not going to be pulling down a ton of boards. Um, so yeah, that was kind of eye-opening from Shamit. And yeah, for the closing lineup, I think it's game to game. Like in the Grizzlies game, he wasn't hitting shots and his defense was atrocious. I would have gone with Shea. Today, if the game had been close, Shea was just absolutely miserable in this game. It was probably his yeah. worst game of the season, I'd say, <laughs> at least offensively. I actually thought his defense was really good. He might have been the best Clippers defender in this one, but his offense was just horrible. He couldn't get anything to fall. He was forcing things. He had some really bad turnovers, and I probably would have gone with Shamit, even though he's invisible. At least he wasn't a negative. Um, but I think it's a game-by-game thing, but I think we've already seen that Doc trusts Shamit a little bit more just because yeah. of his pure shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, which is frustrating just because it's another barrier to Shea getting minutes and crunch time reps and everything. But Clippers fans are already turning on Shea. I got some uh, tweets today asking about, you know, if Shea has been struggling and this and that, and it's uh, it's depressing. I'm not into it. I'm not into <laughs> it at all. Chandler Parsons is really bad at basketball, huh? Jeez. Oh, I feel, I honestly, even though he's rich and like very good looking and I'm sure has lived <laughs> a marvelous life, I feel right. a little bit sorry for him. Like, I don't. You know, at all. <laughs> Why would I? That guy just robbed me. Mark Cuban. He's probably kind of a, a dick. So, you know. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure, yeah. He doesn't seem like a guy I would want to hang out with. Like, granted, was- he's, if I went to a club with him, he would just get every girl and I'd feel depressed. But, yeah. <laughs> it's, he's, yeah. He's it awful bad. at basketball. He can't move. It was so sad watching him play. And, uh, yeah, it was almost, yeah. That guy yeah. used to be pretty good. Yeah, and nope. then today, the Nuggets, yeah. I thought, were interestingly, for a lot of it, I didn't think they were that impressive. I think Millsap and Jokic just destroyed the Clippers, but big men, good big men, just destroy the Clippers anyway. So, you know, I wasn't taking that with a grain of salt, but they are very deep. They have a lot of good players. Lou and Trez are better than any guys they have off their bench, but on the whole, I think their bench is probably better than the Clippers just because they actually play defense and they're just more good players, if anything, than the Clippers uh, at this point. So, I mean, that could change when Chandler and, and Luke come back as adding more depth, but 
The Nuggets look pretty good. The Grizzlies, I'm so glad they got that win, even though they did not play well. I mean, the Grizzlies are not good. They're missing like three of their four or five best players, yeah. and they're just full on tanking. So that was a win they needed. The, the Nuggets game was a schedule loss. Um, yeah. I don't really have too much else to say about that. I think we're probably going to look at the schedule ahead and then take some Twitter questions. I don't know. Do you have anything else? rotation-wise or uh, about these past two games you wanted to discuss? Not not particularly. I mean, it, there's so many questions with this rotation as far as do the Clippers want to win now and versus yeah, develop yeah. their young guys. I feel like they're kind of open-ended and whatever you want kind of just shows what direction you want the team to be in. I totally understand the idea of starting Trez over Zubat, and uh, maybe that is the way to go uh, for the team. I am interested in Zubat's potential as a starter just in general, but like, I don't know. I, I think that that might be the most obvious injection of life into the starting lineup. And and it showed like the, the Clippers did start, they started Trez in a game where they started pretty well. What was it? The Spurs game. Right. And they started that game pretty well and played and, and Trez played well. And yeah, uh, so it's already shown that he can he can thrive as a starter. So kind of interesting to see what decisions Doc might make because this these these uh, third quarter and first quarters are just getting really really tiresome and it's going to hurt this team. So I think that's about it. Oh, Joakim Noah too, twelve or twelve from the line. Um, as good crazy. as as good as Montrez was, and he was fantastic that game. You know, Noah just showed like that pure kind of size. It's yep. just hard for Trez to overcome. And Zubat actually had some big rebounds in that fourth quarter mm-hmm. to the point where I was like, should we just start? Should we just play this guy down the stretch? Because he had some big rebounds, including that one rebound where he seemed to go over the ba- over the back. And the Grizzlies fans reminded me why I hated them so much. It was just like an onslaught of booze. And I was like, geez, guys, relax. It's okay. It was yeah, probably I mean, not a great call. but <laughs> Yeah, Trez's lack of size was also really exposed today. Right. He yeah, started off the game was. very well the first quarter. I think he might have had all eight of his points in the first quarter, actually. Wow. Definitely in the first half. But I think, honestly, all of them might have come in the first quarter. And after that, Jokic and Millsap just stifled him. And he only played 16 minutes because he had five fouls. But they attacked him on, on offense and on defense and just stifled him on offense. It was, it was a rough outing. It was probably one of his worst games since Lou was out earlier in, in December when he had that down stretch. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, looking at the schedule ahead, four games this upcoming week. Hi, I'm Ariel Demros, host of the tech podcast Reset. And I'm here to tell you about some of the stories we're following on Reset this month. Stories about how we're adapting to the pandemic with a little help from technology and science. Like, what does teaching look like right now? I I can tell you that there's two teachers right now who have been conducting their phone calls and check-ins with students from random parking lots, just anywhere that you can get Wi-Fi. And for folks who can work from home, how is that working out? Now it's my whole life is conducted via this internet connection. The pandemic has even changed what you might think of preppers. The preppers were at home not going to Costco and waiting in line for 12 hours, standing next to a bunch of other sick people. So, if you want to understand the new normal, how science and technology are shaping the way we live during the pandemic, listen to Reset. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. Later, nerds. It's a big week, and it's kind of a tough schedule. I mean, they play Dallas tomorrow, 
it is at home finally after a pretty lengthy set of road games. But it's obviously second night of a back-to-back. The Mavericks are, you know, they're solid. Doncic and Kleba, who legitimately might be their two best players, are, I mean, Doncic definitely is, but Maxi Kleba, like, might be their second best player. Right, Uh, They're both questionable. And if they're both out, or if even one of them is out, I think that has to be, you know, that has to be a win. Even with both of them playing, the Clippers should win that. Uh, But the Mavericks are good. It's the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst loss in the world, but it would not be great. Wednesday, very tough game at Utah. Uh, go bear is yeah i mean go bear is going to destroy them on both ends it's it's going to be grizzly um and then after that friday at sacramento again and the, the kings are good honestly the kings, the kings are, probably, are good they're better yeah. than the clippers they're better I, than I think, the clippers they're better than the lakers they're better than the spurs man like the kings are legit like yeah i, I would mean, be kind of surprised if they miss the playoffs at this point go ahead i i kind of would be too but if anything the reason why they they wouldn't is because the Clippers have beaten them all three times they've played this year. Now, a lot of that was Tobias Harris, who the Kings had no answer for. And with Tobias gone and Harrison Barnes on their team now, they now have a better counter for Gallo. And there's no Harris, so the, the Clippers don't have two four, big forwards who the Kings can't guard. I would not be surprised if the Clippers lost that one either. And then Sunday is home against the the Knicks, which is, you know, obviously a must win. The Knicks are trash. <laughs> and they're winning they're beating the Spurs right now though. I know, which could be that's I mean, that's huge. Yeah. It's only eleven points. The Spurs are crawling back. But yeah. uh I mean, I think they have to win Dallas and New York. Actually, I retract what I said about Dallas. They have to win that game. Um they need to win those two games. They're at home, they're at, you know, a a mediocre at best team with Dallas, a very shitty team with the Knicks. And then, you know, at Utah and at Sacramento are tough. If they can pull off that Sacramento game, that might be the clinch in a playoff spot. I mean, obviously there's quite a bit of season left, but if that's a huge swing, if they win that, they already clinched the season series, obviously, but I mean, that's still, you know, a full game flop between those two teams. And, it's going to be tough. I mean, they do have a day of rest. It's not a super long flight from Salt Lake City to Sacramento either. So it's not like a horrible scheduled day for them, but just Sacramento's good. They're just, they're a better team than the Clippers are, I think. And and a lot yeah. of the matchup issues are gone. What do you think happens this week? I'm going to say two and two with Dallas and New York. Though it would not shock me if they lost one of the easy games and then somehow won the Sacramento game. Yeah, kind of like they did uh, with that win in Miami and yeah. uh, the loss against the Hawks. Um it's tough. I don't I think they go two and two. The the Mavericks are also playing their third game in fourth four nights, even mm. though they're not coming off a back to back. So there's a hope that they're also a little bit tired, though you know if if Doncic comes back he'll be fairly fresh. Um I do think they go two and two. They should win that Mavericks game, even with Luca back. They should win that Nick game. The Utah game is the fourth game in six nights. So that's mm. even though they have a day off in between uh, on the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, twenty seventh. That's still a pretty. So they're gonna have some tired legs probably in that that Utah game. And it's also the whole um, they're going from Denver to Dallas back to Utah, so they have to deal with all that. Um, <laughs> uh, all that home court cooking that Denver and Utah both have and the altitude and all that jazz. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Utah is just 
a bad matchup for them. So I have a yeah. feeling that they're going to lose that game. I think they're going to lose that game convincingly. Um, I think they're going to play the Kings tight, but I, I think the Kings will win. I think the Kings are going to be really up to play the Clippers after yep. losing three games against them, where they came back in all three games, I want to say. So the Kings are really good. I love watching them. They're just a fun team. I love Fox. I think Bagley is a beast. I've been watching them more and more. I really enjoy Bagley. And Buddy Heald, I love these guards that run off screens and just run all over the court and get way, find ways to get open. In an ideal world, if I was hel- if I was like in shape, that would be me, but it's never going to happen. So, yeah, so watching uh, watching a guy like Buddy Heald, Shamit, JJ Redick, I love watching those mm-hmm. kind of players. So I love watching the Kings. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I'd be kind of surprised if they did. If they missed it, if they missed it, it's going to be all these tight losses they've been having. They feel like they've lost every game against a good team by like two points. And it's rough, but they won a really big game against Oklahoma City and they could turn the corner at any moment and really just kind of win these hard games. So I'm really looking forward to that game. That should be a good one. I think we should get to Twitter questions. Yeah, uh, so well, we, we don't have that many. The Oscars are on. Actually, a couple of them are about the Oscars. But anyway, uh, from <laughs> at Giants on the Moon, are Doc's rotations written in pen? Have you ever seen Doc change a rotation to take advantage of a mismatch or potential mismatch? mismatch? Yeah. I think half of this is right and half of this isn't. I think the Doc's rotations written in pen, I think, is kind of incorrect in that I think he's experimented a ton this year, sometimes too much. But I do think he doesn't adjust in quite the right ways. Like, I think the Zubats Trez thing, for example, I think should be like a game-by-game basis where if you're playing against a big-body center like Jokic, maybe you start with Zubats, and if he's right. not good, you switch to Trez. If you're playing against a team that's going smaller, just start Trez right from the get-go. But I don't think they're written in pen, but I do think he sometimes is – at, at the same time, too set in his ways in some ways and too willing to abandon good proven lineups and others. I, it's confusing. <laughs> it's tough because you sometimes see Doc make these little lineup changes. Like if there is a particular guard he wants to defend, he'll bring in some Darius Thornwell. If there's a longer player he wants to defend, sometimes he'll bring in somebody like Ty Wallace. Like you see some little matchups that he uses uh, a little adjustments he can use in certain games. It's not like he doesn't make any in-game adjustments. Sometimes he just flips his lineups too too much, just looking for things to stick. And even then, I think that necessarily isn't adjusting to the other team as much as it is like, oh no, this this combination isn't working. Let me try this combination. That's a really tempting thing to do with yeah. a team this deep. But I, I wouldn't say he doesn't make any any particularly, you know, um in lineup game changes to certain matchups he does uh i just think that he has certain guys he trusts more and he gets that trust quickly either from from watching their games thinking their fits with the team or going with um you know just going with what feels right you know i think he has certain intuition that he that he falls on it's kind of like an old school coaching mentality where he has some of that where he's like this guy should play more minutes I trust him. The whole Avery Bradley thing is is a huge argument there. You know, he does that a lot. So it's kind of give and take. I don't think Doc doesn't make in-game adjustments, but I definitely think he trusts more guys more than he should and will put them in bad matchups because of that. Yeah. The only guy this season who is absolutely should have a set role and a set number of minutes is Lou Williams. And honestly, he doesn't play enough. Uh, right. He's the Clippers' best player. 
Uh, next question from uh, Evan Scrimshaw. Preferred outcome, 18th overall pick goes to Boston, Clips lose in four to Golden State, or nine seed, and keep the 14th overall pick. Uh, honestly, probably still uh, the playoffs, even if it's a sweep to the Warriors. I mean, the 14th pick in this draft probably isn't going to be very good. I think if you just said or nine seed, and then you have a chance in the lottery to move up, I'd probably take that. If you already know you're getting the 14th pick, I'd probably just take the playoffs, even if it's a route. Yeah, I'd probably still take the playoffs. Though, objectively, it's hard yeah. to like objectively argue with this. The idea that lose, you know, if we if we keep the pick and then get Kawhi or some box office person next year, and then our pick next year is like, you know, 24 or 22 or something, Obviously, that's better, you know? So it's yeah. – and I don't know so much about next year's draft and everything, but that's a lot of spots to go down and give that pick away for. So it's hard to objectively say that it's not better to keep the pick, but I want to see the team make the playoffs. I think it's invaluable for the team, even if it's against the Warriors. If the Clippers can somehow win one game against the Warriors in the postseason, it'll be worth it, man. So, yeah. 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 Uh, next question is from – uh, Clips Nation editor Sabrina Merchant. Uh, why aren't you watching the Oscars? Uh, <laughs> one, I don't like I don't like award shows, and two, I don't watch movies ever. <laughs> I think I've seen like four movies in the theaters this year, and I don't think a single one of them is like Oscar worthy. So that's why. I mean, the best reason to watch a, a thing like the Oscars or the Grammys or whatever the Golden Globes is when you're with like a bunch of your friends. You're getting kind of you're getting kind of drunk, and yeah. you're just kind of laughing at everybody, and they're they're drunken their drunkenness, and just all these little minutia that sneak around in the Oscars with celebrities acting semi normal, you know. Uh, so that's the only good thing about the Oscars. I'm in Iowa. Nobody here wants to do that. So I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 in California, but I'm in the Bay Area and alone in my house. So. Uh, yeah, uh, we're pretty yeah. sad. And, yeah. Anyway, uh, next question from at my Clippers: Why do you hate art and beauty? I think this is also about the Oscars. Uh, I'm honestly, legitimately not like the biggest movie fan. Not because I don't like movies, but uh, just because I don't really have the time to watch them very much and don't have anybody to really watch them with. Uh, which is just makes me sound very depressing. Yeah, but, this is uh, sad. This is a sad podcast. Yeah. It, <laughs> it gets even sadder. Too. Jeez. Oh, the next question makes it worse. It's uh, from that uh, <laughs> oh, Bill uh, Filippo. I, I think that's how you pronounce your name. Sorry. He's a friend of mine on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> what happens when we die? <laughs> is that question? Uh, so this one, we only have a couple minutes left. But oh, I no. Say, I would love to talk about this. No, this, keep going. We'll you know, we'll bookmark this for the next podcast. Yeah. But my short answer <laughs> is that uh, I think there's nothing after when we <laughs> oh die. Oh, my and God. We just, we just, like, rot. And, yeah, it's not a very uh, uplifting afterlife. So I don't believe in one. So I think we all just die and, and things are sad. Though, depending on how depressed you are in, in life, maybe death is, you know, not that much of a, a downgrade. But for me, Love. you know, I like living. I like living. I don't want to die. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. my God. <laughs> I don't I don't think uh I don't think anything happens. So yeah, that's a very depressing view of the afterlife. Yo, whatever you believe in the afterlife, just believe in it, do good things because of it. The whole, you know, Nietzsche thing, God is dead because we killed him. It's because you gotta do good things, man. That's it. 
I think that, positivity. I, that's it. Be positive. Shea Gilders Alexander is going to be an all star for many years. All star, all defense. All okay. defense. Who needs Kawhi? No, I need Kawhi. Please come, Kawhi. Uh, then that last question. We have like thirty seconds. Uh, how would you like Clips to replace Tobias as the focal point of the offense? I they think won't. you have to. Lou Williams. <laughs> Lou Williams. It's the only answer. They need to play Lou a lot. They need to ride him hard. He should have the ball. He should touch the ball probably every single possession. Yeah, ride him hard. Go Clippers. <laughs> Hi, this is Garrett Sisti. Hold for applause. The host of the Lightning Round podcast and score more with Garrett Sisti all under the Bolts from the Blue podcast network covering your local Los Angeles Chargers. The podcasts are great, but don't take my word for it. Listen to this kid. Kids don't lie. It seems. Forget the kids. Search Bolts from the Blue on iTunes to find great Chargers podcasts like the Lightning Round podcast and score more with Garrett Sisti and add them to your podcast rotation. I'm not giving you that dollar. (laughs) 